our first meditation, I will share some instruction from the practice of non-meditation or effortless meditation, which is the practice of just being aware. So it is a practice of neither suppressing nor indulging, neither running away nor applying antidotes. So it is a practice of uh, dropping into your body and just noticing. And if you suffer, you suffer. No big deal. And if you are peaceful, then you are peaceful. No big deal. So we are trying to slide into a place of contentment or equanimity with what is. Within the present moment, within the within present moment awareness. And if there's resistance, just being aware. If there's distraction, just being aware. If there's misery, then just being aware. If there's peace, just being aware. If you notice that you start to apply an, apply an antidote, for example, you feel not so well, and then you start to contemplate on the precious human life, then you drop that. So we don't hide in the Dharma, we don't hide in practice. It's just a big trap in teachings and in spiritual practice that we use the practice to hide or to not feel how we really feel. That doesn't mean that sometimes in our life it is appropriate or in our practice it is appropriate to apply antidotes. But it's a valid way, a valid way to respond uh, to contraction, to tension, to anxiety or restlessness, to sadness, is to do this very particular, very specific way of uh, doing nothing. So it's not like a doing nothing in the sense of spacing out and giving up. Uh, it is. Uh, it is a... It is a very precise way of doing nothing. It is relying upon silence, relying upon presence, and nothing more. And when we do that, what we might notice immediately there is 
decrease of the struggle. So and if the struggle is decreasing, the struggle with the present moment, then there's more peace and there's more contentment and there's more fulfillment. This practice is also called settling the mind in its natural state. And it is a practice which has a solid foundation within the Tibetan tradition. It is not necessarily a practice which has been taught to beginners. But also beginners, uh, through some connection with the practice from previous lives, might really benefit from really going into the opposite direction of manipulating meditation, directing your attention to shamatha with with object. So it is a valid way, a valid direction to let go of that kind of control. Meditating with the body, the heart and the mind like the sky. And just noticing the coming and going within the body, within the field of the sensations of the body and also with the experience of the subtle body, the more subtle body. And within the experience of the felt sense of the mood you are in right now the felt sense of the emotion which which are appearing within the space of awareness. So you can't do this wrong. And you can't do it right you can't do this right. There's no wrong or right way to do to 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 be, to just be. And to just be is effortless. It's happening. This moment is already what it is. And it can't be different. And also the awareness of this moment is effortless. You don't need to switch something on. That you can hear these words proves that there is awareness. And that awareness which is noticing these words, is completely effortless. It's out of control. You can't switch it on or off. It is always awake. It is always effortlessly present. It has nothing to do with directing your attention or focusing. Are you aware? Yes, that's it. Doesn't matter what you're aware of. Sometimes you're aware of being miserable, sometimes you're aware of being happy, and that will come and go. But there is something which remains, something which is boundaryless and centerless. In a way, it has nothing to do with you, with you as the narrative self. 
it knows the narrative self, it feels the narrative self, but it is much bigger than the narrative self. It contains the narrative self, it contains you. It contains me, it contains this room, it contains the world, it contains this universe. So let's just do nothing. And you can sit with open or closed eyes, that doesn't matter. And then in the beginning there's a bit of doing. So you allow your awareness to drop into the body. And that's it. What is there? this becomes a bit too confusing or too much, then it's possible to bring the breath somewhat into the foreground, the aliveness of the breath, but then again you let go. Sounds, feelings, sensations, thoughts, the display of your karma, the movements in the shoreless ocean of primordial consciousness, non-static, adventitious, impermanent, and presence.
notice that whatever you're experiencing, sensations, mental images, sounds, that they all come and go within the container of shoreless presence, shoreless awareness, shoreless beingness. And whatever comes to the foreground, whatever appears, is like a rainbow. It's vividly appearing, but it has no substance. It's not made for matter. It's an appearance within awareness, made out of awareness. Like a dream. If there's tiredness or dullness, spacing out, just be aware, just notice. It's okay.
drop the idea of me, mine, and myself. can appreciate that we are in this space together. We're not only here in this room and the people online, but there's countless people right now in the presence of the divine, in the presence of awareness. In the presence of stillness. Peace. Silence. You are never alone here. Buddha is here, yeah. His Holiness the Dalai Lama is here, Lama Sopa is here, Jesus is here, Tara is here.
the same way the traffic noise outside is happening within awareness without any control without anyone making it happen in the same way thoughts, feelings, sensations are here they're just happening, it's just what is happening spacious awareness. Rely on silence. Rely on presence. Also said within the spacious awareness there is no center.
sense of the body, the mental image of the body, the mental image of this room, empty appearances within consciousness, within mind, like a dream vividly appearing, but without any substance, empty, like a rainbow is empty, nevertheless it vividly appears, it's real and unreal. So the image of the rainbow can be a kind of a bit of a pointer because in within the appearance of the rainbow we bring wisdom into it naturally the wisdom that there is nothing yet there is an appearance which we can enjoy so the rainbow is real and unreal, and we know it. So we are we, we are not we are not attaching to the rainbow. We are not running there and cutting, uh, trying to cut a piece out, out of it, and trying to hold it. No, we know it's a conditioned phenomena. It arises through causes and condition as an expression of the of the system of the weather system, and nobody is doing it. I mean, before we have had recognized this as human beings, we probably made up a kind of God uh, who is responsible for the rainbows. Like, okay, there's a rainbow appearing, so someone must doing it. Someone needs to be behind there. There needs to be an intention. Uh, but now we have understood that the rainbow uh, is empty. It's different with our feelings. It's different with our thoughts. We don't bring that rainbow wisdom into, into the way we look at our feelings and thoughts and the sensations. So we, the, the narrative self claims these experiences as mine and imagines that it is somehow, somehow in control. Oh, there's a thought must be my thought. I'm doing it. I'm the thinker. 
uh, for thoughts and feelings and sensations to appear there, there there doesn't need to be someone there there doesn't need to be someone there for uh, for a rainbow to appear it's a conditioned phenomena connected with everything else it arises from oneness is oneness and dissolves back into oneness <coughs> But here, in our experience, there's this imagined I, that what, that what we put extra. For others, the image of the dream is more accessible. So in a dream, we create a whole world, including the sense of a center, including the place from where you're looking into the dream. But what is the dream? Where is the dream? It's happening within the consciousness of the dreamer. It's all you. Exactly that is happening right now. Any objections? Put me straight. <laughs> so I'm not sure if there's something out there, independent from my experience, but I have no, no, I have no means to check, because all I have is my experience, ever. There's nothing else for me. So the kind of mind-only, Advaita Vedanta view on the world makes sense, for, for, just for my, for my experience, because that's all I have. I have appearances within consciousness. I can't go beyond that. I, I can't jump out of the experiences within consciousness to check. Oh, it's there. No, I can't jump out and look. Where, where should I jump in? Uh, I'm, if I jump, I'm st it's still happening within consciousness. And the place from where I'm looking then is still within consciousness, within awareness. There's no place to stand on, neither for, for the starting of the jump, nor for uh, jumping onto. And somehow, in that recognition, 
is love. I don't know how, but it could be also in that recognition as a kind of nihilism, like nothing matters, but that's not how it is, strangely. It's strange that in, in that recognition of, of the rainbow as insubstantial is not, who cares, not a rainbow. No, it's ah. I, I guess there is some confusion because uh, when I now, I mean, I, I sort of uh, know this and, and get it like, I, I know it here, but because I'm still also within my like small self mm. or I Are sort you? of yes. try to, mm. to uh, it's just that the, then I, I get it from this point of view, and then I can't get mm. it. So it's like so, both yeah. get it, and then right. that's, I mean. that's a big difference, yeah. So then it's the experience that it's in my head, and the, ah, no, it's something, mm. yeah. Yeah. So that, that kind of, you did like this, that, yeah? yeah? So yeah. that. Are you aware of that? Yeah, I think so. So there's two. That's that, and yeah, that yeah, is yeah. that which is aware of that. Yeah, yeah. So what is that which is aware of that? Yeah. And, and that is undescribable, ungraspable, yeah. unfindable. It is, it, it's never an object. It can't be understood, it, can, it can't be found, it's empty. But here, empty doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. It neither exists nor does it not exist. So that would be one direction when there's that kind of, yeah, but I, I, I'm looking from here. I'm looking from me. Are you aware of it? Yeah. I'm aware of that. So from where are you looking? From where is the looking coming? This is a very, this is a, this, this point. This is, this is where, where at one point it flips, at one point it shifts. It could be that for years we go in circles around this and we hear it again from different teachers, from different pointers. And we all the time feel, I don't get it, I don't get it, I don't get it. And then suddenly, boom. And you still don't get it. <laughs> because if you would get it, then it wouldn't be it. But there is like a, yeah, it's, there is a, there's a shift. I can't say it differently. And with that shift comes the recognition that has been like this always. 
So are there uh, some questions left? Maybe some afterthoughts you had now in the break? What now? Uh, I can call now meditation, that's right. (laughs) 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 Because I'm aware. And I connect with you. So, this this is meditation. In my book. I mean, the, the, my, my meditation didn't stop. There was just a sound within meditation, and now there is talk within meditation. I think about this open awareness. It was like open awareness. It's sometimes called like that, open choiceless awareness. Yeah. Mm, yeah. It's also called shamatha without object. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's what happens, and I didn't say it because uh, because then we try to make something happen, but the release happens usually. Usually there is less suffering, not that the pain disappears, but the suffering uh, decreases. Maybe after. Maybe after a while, in, initially it could be that the suffering increases because you become more aware of how restless you are or how tense you are. But then if you really trust and you continue and you manage not to try to control that restlessness or that tension, then usually there's, the release is happening. That's right. Mm. Yeah, usually that's very common. Mm. It can. Yes, it can. We we just need to. Uh, we just need to uh, uh, maybe inform a practice. What well, form a practice in in sitting quietly? We need to uh, familiarize ourselves with this way of being, and then it will more naturally appear. Uh, also in daily life, while you are sitting in the. And it, initially, it could be that we remember some, some instructions like allowing, accepting, letting things be. Like maybe you notice you sit in the bus and you make a cat- catastrophic thinking about the past or the future, and then you notice that. And then you remember, huh? Oh, let's try. Drop into the body. Let it be as it is. What happens then? And then slowly, slowly, if you do that for some time, that's that's how it is for most people. Uh, it's just it's just what is happening. You you don't need any triggers anymore. It's just 
it's just it's just what it is. It's just it's just happening and nobody's doing it. Okay, so now we get to the difficult people. That's the fourth verse. Whenever I meet a person of ba bad nature who is overwhelmed by negative energy and intense suffering, I will hold such a rare one dear as if I had found a precious treasure. Whenever I meet a person of ba bad nature who is overwhelmed by negative energy and intense suffering, I will hold such a rare one dear as if I had found precious treasure. So that could be a good slogan. Uh, put somewhere uh, so that that we can remember and uh, like so you, you you meet a difficult person in your life and you remember and it's pure conceptual but it can make a difference you remember oh precious treasure oh finally my guru is appearing in my life I, I, I wanted so much to meet the Dalai Lama and be in his presence. And here he is, right there in my life, teaching me exactly what I need. So that is guru devotion. All experiences are a display of the Lama. In particular, those uh, which push your buttons. That is the Lama, the ultimate Guru. And then you bow. Finally, I'm so happy to meet you, precious Lama. And then what I said uh, yesterday about myself and uh, appreciating the complexity of people, uh, reconnecting with your own Buddha nature and with that, uh, with the Buddha nature of other people. So these are all the practices to do, to actually see people like that. So, so you meet a person and it's not like boom. Yeah? But you meet a person and it is potential. It is openness. It is openness from this side, me being aware of the openness on the other side. It's kind of looking through the facade of what we usually identify with. That, there's, that we only see the tip of the iceberg. And 
With this view, we see the whole iceberg. So there is another uh, kind of reframing here, which we can use, and that is the teachings on karma. So let's make a leap of faith into the teachings of, on karma, cause and effect. And part of that is having provisionally assuming the map that we are all displays of an infinite stream of consciousness. There's a display, there's a display, so. And this display, the way it, dis the way it manifests, has causes. It's not kind of popping out of nothing. It's a, it's a dependent arising. And what is being displayed, according to the teachings on karma, are habits. Uh, ways how you relate, particular ways how you related to others in the past, in this life. But now we are looking also, also into the, into the, into the infinite, beginningless time. So whatever appears for you in this display within consciousness, within awareness. Is, um, is a display of your own habits regarding relating to others. So let's say I haven't used that example for some years now so I can dig it out again. Let's say you have an angry boss we all can imagine that, I think. Unfortunately, psychopaths tend to come to the top because nobody else in its right mind wants to be on the top. <laughs> so the, uh, the, the amount of narcissists and disturbed personalities in, in the hierarchies uh, is... Uh, is above average. Yeah. So it's quite likely that you have met a person like that. So one view on this could be it's just bad luck. And if you can't stand it anymore, you just go to another company. We all have tried that approach. Yeah. Didn't work out so well, but uh, so that's what we usually try, or we try to fix the, fix the problem. So in the view of karma, the angry boss is a display of your own anger. The, ang the angry boss is a display of the way you have treated others in the past. 
this is a tough uh, tough pill to swallow because we like to think of ourselves as nice people covering up that we are not and we are also nice yeah but we are also not nice So that would be an example of a difficult person, this angry boss. So now the question is, how do we relate to that person? And the narrative self who projects the evil into the other person because it doesn't want it to have it, have it, have it here in, it, in its domain. The narrative self says, this person deserves to be punished. This person deserves to be hurt. Because he is the angry person and I'm the victim. And the victim has the right to hurt back. So what we do is we respond to the situation with the habit which actually is the cause for this situation. So we respond to violence with violence. And with that increasing the violence within awareness, within consciousness. So what happens after a while being in that situation, you decide, okay, I can't stand this anymore. I can't stand this anger, <coughs> anger anymore. I quit. I go to the next company. Two angry bosses. CIO and two, three people below. More reasons for anger. More reasons for following that habit. So that is the spiral of karma. And it leads to the angry boss hell. So in the angry boss hell, we create an environment which is full of violence. Yeah. That's called hell in the Buddhist cosmology. And we, this can be here in Göteborg. I mean, it's not that we need to be reborn in, on another planet where it's, where it's more hot. Yeah? <laughs> uh, so it's, it's not, it, it, these, uh, the, these, uh, these places, they are not uh, places which we are born into. It's places which we create within consciousness within awareness. 
So from the point of view of karma, and you, know, you just have to check uh, for yourself if this kind of reflection uh, might have any impact on, on the way you look at, at difficult people. So uh, an angry person in your life and working with that, trying to respond to this, to violence in a different way, not in the instinctual way, not in the way your first response is, practicing Dharma, that is a way to heal that karma, to purify that karma. And that's why that angry boss is a precious person. It helps. That, that, that difficult person has the potential to bring forth the goodness in you. Tolerance, patience, compassion, skill of moving through this kind of situation without becoming part of the problem, without adding to the violence in the world, which is incredibly difficult. And again, I recommend uh, to go back to this old movie, Gandhi, who managed to do that. And people were killed. There was a massacre with more than 1,000 people shot in Amritsar. And the response <clears throat> of Gandhi was non-violence. This is so inspiring for me. So again, this is not an invitation to be a doormat and not to speak up, and not to do whatever is necessary to prevent harm to yourself and your colleagues. It can maybe firm feedback is necessary but it can come from wisdom and compassion rather from hatred and reactivity. So we are babies. So that means, again, this is, you know, this is a journey, this is a path. It's already much to want to have that to pray for that, to have the intention to be a Gandhi, to make that the compass in your life. What would Gandhi do in this situation? What would the Dalai Lama do in this situation? I want to be like that. What can I do to get there? Gandhi and the Dalai Lama they are people just like us.
or is there anything else? If you play with that, if you try this, according to the teachings on karma, if you manage to heal that, if you manage to purify that karma, if you manage to change your habits, then the situation will change. Mm. That's something to try out. Try to get rid of a difficult person by loving that difficult person. And internally, for sure, something will change, but also externally, this person might die, <laughs> move on, just disappear from your life might change suddenly, something changes. Maybe that boss was so upset with you because his wife is just dying right now. Or he has a challenge and then that challenge in the life of the boss disappears and he becomes more relaxed and more happy. And that changes our, uh, our relationship. And just look out for things like that that will strengthen your uh, your trust in 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 this uh, in this method. Can I ask something? Mm -hmm. um, I'm thinking about the difference between uh, I would say I've had a lot of karma to clear. I To move on. Mm. I think many people are asking this somehow, maybe in different words. Yeah. Around. Yes. Yeah. I wish I had an answer to that. <laughs> but one uh, kind of direction uh, for me is to ask myself. Is there still growth possible here? Did I really try? And, and sometimes a certain situation like a relationship is just not constructive anymore. You are like stuck. It's just, it's just instead of leading into more understanding and openness within that situation, it goes kind of into the spiral downwards. It gets worse. 
it becomes too much. Uh, so you, you notice yourself, wow, this is actually just going towards more and more pain and more and more uh, reactivity on my side. And, and then, uh, and then, and then moving yourself out of that situation, knowing you can't escape anyone. It's just not the time now. And we don't need to worry because uh, since that karmic reason is still there within us, this person will come back with different clothes. And in the karmic teaching, it is said it is actually kind of personal like that. I, I mean, it's not only the kind of the theme will turn back, come back. Uh, they actually say it is that particular mind stream uh, which we will meet again in another time. But still, there's even, I mean, this is like a kind of something to consider what I just said, that it doesn't give like a clear line. Okay, that now it's time. Now, yeah, so, and it's different for different kinds of people. But we know all, we all know couples who should have divorced like 20 years ago. It's, it's just, but then we are too much of a chicken to move out into the unknown and and we we uh, we prefer the hell towards the unknown because at least it's something we know and we know it from childhood because what is being repeated here if we just look at our psychological history and not even into previous lives, what we repeat in our intimate relationship is childhood patterns. We bring the wounds of our childhood into the new relationships as an opportunity for us to heal. But that's a difficult project. But we are drawn as we... You know, that's a common knowledge. Probably you have observed that yourself. That you are drawn to the same kind of psychopaths. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not using it in the, in the clinical sense. Yeah? But in, like, we are drawn to the same kind of... Like if you are, like a, for example, if you are a codependent person. And for sure you will be drawn to people uh, they, they seem to be very sexy <laughs> and then after, after some, some time you realize oh shit it's the same just in a different body <laughs> here again I didn't learn anything but it is an opportunity And it's always a valid uh, temporary uh, 
possibility to withdraw, kind of to go into a retreat, you know, to become a monk or a nun. Not that, that that would be the solution, but it gives you some space to do some inner work, so that next time around uh, you, you might attract another kind of problematic person. <laughs> So that you can work on another theme within your being. <coughs> if you are stuck with a, out of obligations, for example, uh, I mean, you are in a job. I mean, one relationship uh, we have, uh, which we can't quit, is when we are parents. So that's, the, that's where you always will try to love, or naturally love, no matter what this person does. And most parents work hard on that because it's uh, it's a kind of law in in inner in inner commitment. Once you are a father or a mother, to stand by the side of that person, no matter what. And you see parents who stay by the side of murderers or terrorists or because they see more than the act of violence they see the goodness they saw this little being as an innocent child so we could try to kind of broaden that capacity a bit to other people That's how Lama Sopa sees his students, no matter what, no matter what you do. So if you are stuck, I mean stuck is, you're never stuck, there's nobody who could be stuck and there's nothing there, you, yeah? but there is a, the experience of being stuck. For example, you have a family and you are responsible for, uh, for supporting that family, supporting your partner and, and your children. And you have a mortgage and stuff like that. And, and you have a job. And there's very difficult people there. And because of that commitment you have, you can't just say, okay, I'm quitting. Uh, 
uh, I have to continue. Yeah? So in this kind of situations where you can't move out, in a way, it's also an opportunity. Because then the only option you have is to refrain, to, to give the situation a different meaning, to see the, this situation as, as, a, as an opportunity to grow. That possibility you always have. Uh, that's why it's good you know, to get married and to commit to a relationship, because then there's more what, you know, if people have children together, that's, that's usually one, one thing which, where people try a little harder to connect, to reconnect again, to, to, to be more tolerant, to be more understanding. And, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. So to be stuck in certain areas can, can be an opportunity. On the other hand, sometimes it would be good to be brave and uh, uh, to leave a, a, a destructive workplace and maybe uh, move into a smaller flat or sell the car or something like that. Yeah? Try something new. So it's, it's this uh, general theme in the teachings of finding balance, finding the middle way. And nobody can tell you what's... I mean, some people would go to the guru and ask, you know, that's a stupid thing to do. Should I move away? Should I stay? Please tell me. I hope you never have a teacher who is going to answer this kind of question. <laughs> and if you have, don't ask him. We have a short break. Just let's uh, go to the next and then so it gets a bit more difficult. <laughs> <laughs> when others out of jealousy mistreat me with abuse, slander and so on. I will practice accepting defeat and offering the victory to them. When others out of jealousy mistreat me with abuse, slander and so on, I will practice accepting defeat and offering the victory to them. That's also you know, the saying of Jesus with the cheek. Yeah? And uh, people discussing this for centuries now, you can't mean that. <laughs> this is the most stupid thing. How can we interpret this different? Yeah. And probably this is one of the few things you don't need to interpret. He actually meant that. And again, 
there is a line here between becoming a doormat and letting yourself abused. So this, uh, this is something we need to reflect upon. Uh, what is a healthy way uh, uh, to practice this? What is the healthy way to approach this? What does it mean to, to offer the victory to others?